Uh, we're continuing on, guys. I thank you, Dan. We're continuing on in Exodus chapter 15 tonight. We're in Exodus chapter 15, uh, verse 1. We're going to go to about verse 21, Exodus 15, 1 to 21. And I don't know, I love praising the Lord. Like, I love praising the Lord. When I was 15 years old, I started learning to play guitar, and uh, I fell in love with music. And music is an interesting thing. Let me just give you a few quotes of people who you may know. Ray Charles said, know about, Ray Charles said, music is powerful. As people listen to it, they can be affected. They respond. Nietzsche wrote, without music, life would be a mistake. Igor Stravinsky, a Russian composer of all things, he wrote, I haven't understood a bar of music in my life. He said, by I have felt it. Music is like the universal language. People feel it. They get it. They understand. You know, it's like lyrics stick in your brain. You know, I'm sure that's happened to you. And for some reason, it's always lyrics of a song that you don't like. And it keeps going around, like, get out of my head. I mean, we really would love to memorize more scripture, but, and it's difficult. And we're like, okay, this is week four of trying to memorize this one verse. We hear a song one time, and we know the whole thing. It's crazy. Music is powerful. And, and I love going on mission trips to uh, different locations because we get to worship in different languages. And you see, you don't understand what they're saying, but you see their passion just to worship. And that's the thing. Praising God is just, it's a powerful action. And, and people praise God for various reasons. You know, maybe you're going through a trial, and so you praise God as an outlet to cry out to the Lord. Maybe things are great, and so we praise God for what he's doing right now. Maybe you're just in awe of who God is, and so you respond by singing, you know, hands raised, hearts affected. I love Exodus 15 because God is being praised because he rescued and delivered his children. And I think generally or specifically as believers, we can understand that. We praise God because we've been delivered. But remember, they seem trapped. The, Egyptian, or the Israelites seem trapped by the Egyptians, the mountain ranges, and the body of water in front of them. But God did the miraculous. <clears throat> what did he do? He cleared the way. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. God receded the ocean. He let his kids pass on dry ground. And then the waters returned and stopped the enemies. And I think it's, I think it's so healthy to praise God for what he's done in our lives. You know, especially deliverance. The people of Israel, they couldn't help praising God. They couldn't hold it in. Their enemies were taken out and their freedom was secured. The nature or the natural response to victory is worshiping the victor. Right? See, this song, this song we're going to look at, it was a breakthrough because the children of Israel, if you think about it, they didn't praise God when they were enslaved in Egypt. Not recorded anyway. And the children of Israel were not praising God when they were being led out of Egypt, as recorded, as it's not recorded. But remember, they were complaining to Moses, actually. They did the opposite. And they were asking him to let them go back. Let them go back. We, we like slavery better. Like, what? Do you remember what it was like? Uh, no. You know, it's like the, the Jews were immature in their faith at that time. And it, it takes maturity to have a song in the night. Job 3510 talks about that. It takes maturity to have a praise or a song in the night. The spiritually mature person will praise God even when things seem unsure or bad or darkness is surrounding us. They can still praise God because they know they have victory from the beginning. 
Jesus followed God's will perfectly, and he went through more pain. I mean, think about this. Seriously, like this dawned on me this morning. During my quiet time, I was reading, I was like, whoa, just mind-blown, simple thing. But Jesus followed God's will perfectly. He was perfect, right? He was sinless. He followed God's will to the T. And guess what? From all outside appearances, it didn't look like he had a very prosperous, materially rich life, did it? He followed God's will perfectly, and he went through more pain and sorrow than any man. And he followed God's will perfectly. That blew my mind. But he never forsook God. See, this hymn of praise, it has, it has five stanzas. Let me just give you what the stanzas are. Verse 1 to 5, we see God's weapons are described. I'm sorry. Verses 1 through 5, God's victory is announced. That's the first thing. God's victory is announced. Verse 6 to 10, God's weapons are described. Verse 11 to 16, God's character is praised. And verse 16 to 18, God's promises are fulfilled. So as we look at verses 19 to 21 too as well, because uh, it's grouped together, if you notice, Bible chapters and verses are not inspired. They were added later, right? So sometimes I regroup uh, these, according, these verses according to the order or the, the idea, right? So let's pray and then we'll get into uh, Exodus 15 tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time, again, just to open your word and go verse by verse and just see what you have for us, Lord, as a, as a church body, Lord, working together, but also individually, even as a married couple, as families, Lord, we just pray that you'd speak to every aspect and every part of our hearts of what we're facing, what we're going through now. You, you make it so practical and applicable, Lord. And so we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So verses 1 to 5, chapter 15 of Exodus says, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's uh, chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He has chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. First stanza. This is a first stanza. God's victory is announced. So the Lord is mentioned 10 times in this hymn. This praise song was all about Israel's great protector and deliverer. True worship involves faithful witness to who God is and what he has done for his people. So the children of Israel were celebrating this amazing victory. That's the best place to be. That was, it was solely from the Lord. Verses 1, verse 4, verse 5, 7, and 10 tell us that the Egyptian armies were thrown into the sea. The soldiers sank like stones and like lead. They were consumed like burning stubble. And so remember, Pharaoh ordered all the Jewish baby boys to be drowned. Remember that, right? He, he ordered them all to be drowned. Now here we see the Lord drowned the whole Egyptian army. It has been said that there are moods of the soul that can only be expressed in poetry and music. God's blessed 
by a new song, by even spontaneous just worship. You, just, you can't help it. You want to praise God. I used to have a roommate. I loved him. Dennis, man, he just was a worshiper. He loved hymns. He'd rather sing a hymn than any modern, you know, four-by-four <coughs> four worship song. Like, he loved hymns. And he would just spontaneously break out and say, I'm like, what is that noise? He'd be like, oh, that's Dennis in the other room. You know, I got used to it after a few months. But I'm like, he'll just start singing. Out. No one's there. It's just me. I'm, I'm like in my room. And he was just out here in the living room just praising God, cooking. He loved cooking. He just sang a new song all the time. He loved praising God. So this is the very first of the sacred songs preserved in the scripture. And verse 2, it says, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So they praise God because he did what they could not do. I think it's important to think about. Like they praise God because he did what they could not do. Do we praise God for what he has done and can do? Like what a good reason to praise him. Because we have victory because of him. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song. So when God is our strength, he in turn becomes our song. Like in that order. When God comes through, we worship him. Because we're reminded, oh, God came through. He's had me this whole time, but I now just recognized it. One interesting thing about this song is there's not a word or stanza about Moses. Moses isn't talked about. They didn't sing. They say, praise you, Moses. You're awesome, man. Love your beard. Like they didn't, they, you know, they didn't pray. They didn't praise. They didn't. He wasn't mentioned. Like, and Moses didn't, you don't hear him going, hey, why don't you guys talk about, why don't you give me some credit? <laughs> right? But it was all about God. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam are not in the song, which is a good thing. And that's a good reminder, it's not about us. It's all about God. And so they also recognized that God was their strength. God didn't just, here's another thing to like think about theologically. God, God didn't just like give strength. He was their strength. Like he is a source of strength. He is strength. And they said, he has become my salvation. And this beautiful phrase shows us that we cannot save ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. We know that, but good reminder. God is our salvation. So if you do a study in Romans, which lays out the theology of salvation, it's very interesting. I recommend that. Uh, verse 3, it says, the Lord is a man of war. Now, this is kind of controversial sometimes. Some denominations have taken the militant hymns out of their hymnals. What's that one hymn? I, I didn't grow up in church, but something about the soldier, something. It's like, huh? Soldiers of the cross. Wait, wait, say that? Yeah, 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 that one. So yeah, a lot of denominations took that out, onward Christian soldier, because um, of its militant, like, nature, you know? But remember, Moses promised the people, remember in verse 14? I love this verse. The Lord will fight for you. It didn't say, you know, the Lord will love your enemies away. Like, it, said, it says the Lord will fight for you. And our, you know, one of our, the names of God is this, Jehovah Sabaoth. And this means Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. And this title is actually used 285 times in the Old Testament. And I think it's appropriate to say the Lord is a man of war. Why? Well, because there's a real enemy that wants to take us out. There's a real battle that is going on. Thank God he's a man of war. Thank God he's a protector. He's our fighter. You know, he's the captain, if you will. Isaiah 42, 13 
says this, The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts, he roars aloud, he prevails over his enemies. Jesus Christ is both the lamb who died for our sin and the lion who judges sin. Revelation 5, 5, and 6. And one day he will ride forth to conquer his enemies. Revelation 19, 11. To only emphasize God as love and eliminate God as light is to rob God of his attributes of righteousness, holiness, and justice. We don't have to be scared that God is the judge. Some people are like, don't judge me. You know, they say that's you. You'd be like, oh, I'm not judging you. God's judging you. That's probably worse. So I'm just saying, like, you need to get right, right? So God is the just judge. He's the perfect and just judge. So on three special occasions in Scripture, the Jews sing... The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So God fights for us. He's our strength and therefore our song. Conquering enemies is easy for God. It's easy for God. God can deal with your enemies in a second. With a word, a whole army was done. With one word, all of God's people were safe and saved. And so this hymn is all about the Lord. Not singing about Moses or the, you know, it's all about the Lord. So verse 6 through 10 is the second stanza. And it, verse 6 says, Your right hand, keep in mind it's a song. You're, I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to read it. But it says, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, it consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Verse 10. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Man, so here's God's weapons are described. It says, your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemies to pieces. And here's the thing about the right hand. The right hand is thought to be the hand of skill and power. Of skill and power. This is the use of anthropomorphism, meaning understanding something about God by using a human figure of speech, even though it does not literally apply. Anthropomorphism. So the idea of the right hand is used in Scripture more than 50 times, actually. Here's a few passages. Psalm 45.4. Psalm 45.4. So as you'll see them on the screen, I believe, God's right hand teaches us. Kind of like a teacher up there. Kind of like they point. They say, here, they're teaching you, right? God's right hand teaches us. Psalm 48.10. Psalm 48.10 talks about God's right hand is full of righteousness. Right? He's a righteous ruler. Psalm 77.10 is remembrance of the years of the right hand of the Most High. Psalm 110.1, the Father invites the Son to sit at his right hand. Habakkuk 2.16, the cup of God's judgment is held in his right hand. And Ephesians 1.20 Jesus is seated at the what of the Father? The right hand. Yes, of the Father. 
These verses show, I'm not going to do all 50, but these verses show that God is mighty. He's powerful. And I love this description because it shows that we should revere the Lord. I'm tired. I'm tired. Honestly, it's one of my pet peeves. I'm tired of society making light of God and acting like he's some fictitious entity and just making light of God and Satan. I can't stand it. The Lord's not going to be mocked. Even believers who don't revere the Lord see him at, you know, don't see him as mighty, you know, get into major sin because they don't believe they will reap what they sow. They don't take God seriously. Therefore, they're in sin, they're in darkness, and they keep walking that way because they don't fear God. They don't revere him, and that's wrong. We do reap what we sow. So the more we revere the Lord, the more in line we're going to be with him. The more we'll keep our noses clean, if you will. But when we fear and revere God, it will cause us to bow low rather than be puffed up. We're called to bow low, not be puffed up, right? To be humble, not prideful. So in the third and the fourth stanza, verse 11 to 16, we see God's character is praised. Verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You, in your mercy, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. First part of verse 16, fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. So verse 14, all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. I mean, that's intense. See, the children of Israel and Moses knew this Red Sea victory said something to the enemies of Israel. Their enemies would become afraid when they heard of the great things God did for Israel in the future as we go through the Old Testament. In verse 11, the ten plagues, remember, the ten plagues already proved that God was more powerful than the gods and the goddesses of Egypt. This is why the people saying, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Worship should proclaim the superiority of the Lord God over anything else that claims to be God. Like Israel would often forget this in the wilderness, but may we remember, God is mighty. He has the preeminence. He is our king. Verse 12, if you, if you look at the verses, verse 12, they praised God for his power, right? Verse 12. Verse 13, they praised him for his mercy and wisdom. Verse 14, they praised God for his awesomeness and bringing fear to their enemies. And we know from Joshua 2, 8 to 13 and 24, that when the spies, remember when the spies entered Jericho, they discovered that the people were paralyzed with fear as Israel arrived on the scene. The heathen nations knew that the true and living God was more powerful than their gods and would give Israel their victory. And so remember with the plagues, the Egyptian officers, remember that? Even the Egyptian officers are like, dude, Pharaoh, come on, man. Like, our land is being destroyed. Our people are dying. Water's turning into blood. These locusts are annoying. Like, even the officers, Pharaoh's officers are like, Pharaoh, just, they actually were, had boldness enough because they thought they were all going to die to be like, just let them go. It's too much trouble. God is real. He's powerful. Let them go. Like God's raining down judgment. Hello. So we see his power, you know, it's like 
They saw his power, but Pharaoh was so stubborn. He just did not want to relent. Even the enemies know and see God's power and preeminence. Even the enemies know that. Yet some suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Right? Even the enemies know. So what happens? Well, now we see God's promises fulfilled as they keep singing this hymn. Fifth stanza, verse 16b to 18, says, Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So this stanza really looks forward. It looks forward to Israel's conquest of Canaan. It, it points out that Israel, they're God's people. The nations in Canaan would be as still and dead as stones as the Jewish army conquered the land and the tribes claimed their inheritance. God brought them out of Egypt to bring them into Canaan and plant them in their own land. And Psalm 44, 2, I'm going to read the NIV version. Psalm 44, 2 says, With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. God would put his sanctuary among his people and dwell with them in glory. And I love that. It says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The people sang to God in view of deliverance, victory, defense, and confidence. They were in a good place. And this song teaches us not only to praise God for the, the overthrow of Egypt, but to praise him concerning the overthrow of all the powers of evil and the final deliverance of all the chosen. In other words, God takes care of our enemies. You, you cannot fight this battle without the Lord. It's not, you know, in the name of Mike, in the name of Moses, in the name, no, 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 in the name of Joshua, he was a warrior, no. In the name of Jesus, right? He fights the battle. You are not strong without him. Neither am I. No one is. God is powerful and we are not. It's good, that's a good reminder and a humbling thing. We can't do this without God. We're going to lose. But with him, I already won. So then verse 19 to 21, so that's the hymn. Those are the stanzas. Now in verse 19 and 21, kind of uh, ends this section up says, For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So Miriam, Moses' sister, leads the women in worship. And this is the first mention of Miriam by name. And she's described as a sister of Aaron. So Miriam is also the sister of Moses. And Mary had, she had some kind, some kind of prophetic gift, right? Some type of prophetic gift. Later on, unfortunately, Miriam would use her prophetic gift in a very unwise and ungodly way. Where she had challenged the authority of Moses. You could find that in Numbers 12. And you know what I love about Moses? Like he had so many people come against him throughout his ministry, his calling, yet he continued on. 
right? He continued on. Moses prayed for the people who were totally complaining about him. And he, he was meek. He was patient. He, was, he grew to love the people. But at this point, the people sang a dance and were joyful. This was just a good, amazing, joyful, blessed, praising time. So Moses led the song, and, and then Miriam led for the women. And this is the only mention of Miriam in a, a, a memorable scene. You know, Micah 6.4 says, He sent before them Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God used Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, but through this whole ordeal, Moses was the one that remained faithful. He wasn't perfect, but he remained faithful. Was Moses perfect? No. Was he faithful? Yes. (laughs) He was faithful to God and had compassion toward the people. Moses didn't abuse his gifts like his sister. He remained faithful, and God used him. And so the people praised God because of his deliverance. Unfortunately, as many of you know, they wouldn't stay in this place of praise, right? They quickly began causing problems by complaining and whining and wanting to go back to bondage. I, I mean, I venture to say that much of this, you know, um, praising w- was based on pure emotion rather than full commitment, right? Like, see, sometimes the, the positive emotions are, are not there, <laughs> but that doesn't mean we don't praise him. That doesn't mean we're like, you know what, I'm going to go back to church in like a couple months when I feel, you know, when I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> like, we come to church broken. We come to church going, Lord, I need encouragement. I need you to speak to me. I want to worship and respond to you. And so the emotions are always there. But as you praise God first, the emotions will follow and be like, you'll recognize and realize, oh, God, you're good. Even though I'm going through this thing, I need to praise you anyway. Because <laughs> God is strength. He is our song. He is our rescuer. He is our God. And so we get to praise him. What a privilege it is to praise God for our deliverance, for what he's done. And may we not get in this rote routine where we think about, you know what, I think I had it better before, before I knew you, Lord. No, you didn't. Remember how lonely and empty and horrible that was? It was not a good place to be. Like, we don't want to forget those things. The children of Israel did. Now, if they stayed at this place, and even when they're going through difficulty in the desert, eating manna, you know, every day, if they would just remember, well, God, God delivered me, though. He's going to get us out of here. You know, it's only a couple weeks to the next place we've got to go to Canaan, the promised land. It's, it's no big deal. But unfortunately, they were complaining and whining and sinning, and there was a lot of trouble. And Moses could have just been like, forget you guys. I'm done. You guys are horrible people. <laughs> like, he could have not. But he didn't. He actually prayed to God. He said, Lord, spare them. Have grace upon them. He, him and Aaron prostrated themselves on the ground and said, Lord. And they were praying for these complaining people that were totally against him. What a heart. Just like Stephen, right, the first martyr, when he said, forgive them, they're not what they do. They dragged him out of the court and were stoning him to death, and he asked God to forgive them. Jesus was on the cross. He asked his enemies to forgive him. What a heart. What a heart for people, you know. If we have a heart for God, truly, genuinely, we're going to have a heart for people, even the ones that can be difficult, even the ones that come against us, even the ones that think, oh, you're a Christian? You're dumb. Like, what are you doing? We can have a heart for them even. Moses had a heart for the lost, for uh, the complainers for the ones who came against him, and he continued on. He was faithful. But at this point, it was just awesome. Mountaintop experience, praising God. Thank you for deliverance. You took our enemies out, and God fights our battles. He fights our battles. 